Okay, we are going to start a new book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Why don't you rise for the reading of God's word? We're going to be in 1 John. 1 John, chapter 1. Where is 1 John? Well, that's closer to the end of your Bible. There's a John, and then there's a 1 John. It's a little confusing, isn't it? John is at the beginning of the New Testament. 1 John is towards the end. 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. Guess where we're going to be after 1 John? 2 John. John. Guess where we're going to be after 2 John? 3 John. John. We're going to start in 1 John. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. 1 John. This is the Apostle John. It says in chapter 1, verse 1, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's pray. Father, what a message. And Lord, we want every bit of it just to be absorbed into our hearts. Lord, just come in here like sponges, Lord, and some of the stuff that we have in us needs to be squeezed out and replaced with the water of your life, your word. Please do that with us. Do that with me this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So 1 John, a fabulous book. It's actually a letter written by the Apostle John. Most scholars agree that this, at the time of this writing, the Apostle John is an old man. Some think at this time he's the last living eyewitness of Jesus Christ. The reason for the letter is this. Just as Jesus himself had predicted would happen, certain men 
and women had taken the truth about Jesus in the Bible, the truth about the word, and they had twisted it around to suit their own purpose. You know, it's the nature, it's the nature of fallen man to take this book and twist it around to suit our own purposes, just to justify whatever lifestyle that we like. That's in our nature. That's in our sinful nature, our fallen nature. That's what we do. That's what man does. It's taken place at the time of John. It continues to this day. And John's become aware of this. He's a wise old man now. He's seeing stuff, and I imagine he waits for the right time to speak, and he's speaking. He's speaking in this letter. Now, at the time, among other things, there was a false teach, teaching which had invaded the church, and the teaching was called Gnosticism. We have that word. I'm going to put it up here. Do we have that word? Maybe. I guess we don't. Gnosticism. The term Gnosticism is from the Greek word gnosis, which means Knowledge. Here we go. Gnosticism. It's from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. And without trying to overcomplicate things, it was a religious system which elevated secret knowledge above the word of God. Mysteries that only certain people could know. Yeah, this is the word of God. Yes, anyone can go out and get a Bible and read it, but there's a, there's a secret knowledge that only really, really spiritual and really, really intelligent people can know about. Everyone else has to settle for just this, but we know something better. That was Gnosticism. It continues in a variety of forms today in the body of Christ. Now, in this letter, John's just going to blow all that nonsense right out of the water. In fact, the word knowledge, or know, K-N-O-W, is used 35 times in this short letter. You can know, you can know, you can know, you can know, you can know. 35 times the word know. And don't let anyone tell you differently says John throughout this letter. Now, there are some in religious circles who, who do that to this day. There's some in every church who, who do this. You know, it, it's only people like me who, who really has the in, inside track as to what the Bible really means. You do have that. You have a form of Gnosticism today. But you also, what's actually what is far more prevalent in the world today is, you know, you can never really know anything about God, or you can never know for sure. You can never really know. I mean, really. You can't really know for certain about God. You can't really know for certain about what is right or wrong. You can't really know for certain what is truth. Truth is relative. Truth is whatever man makes it out to be. There's no absolute truth. John says, not so. 
35 times. You can know, you can know, you can know, you can know, you can know. Now, one of those times is in 1 John 5, 13. I'm just going to give you one of those times. It says this. It says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may altogether know that you have eternal life. I quote this verse as much as any verse in the Bible myself. Because I often ask people, have you come to the place in your life that you know that you have eternal life? And most people say, well, no, you really can't. And then I quote this verse. The Bible is written to those who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know that, the Bible says, from cover to cover. And it only makes sense. You know why? Let me explain. So that word knowledge used 35 times in the Bible. Now, some of you know the answer to this. There's a word that's used even more than 35 times in 1 John. What is it? Louder. Anyone know how many times? Wow, I would be impressed. Oh, 62. That's close. 50. 50 times in this short letter, the word love is used. Love. Including this one, one of the most famous in the Bible. Don't tell me you're bad at memorization. I'll lead you to this verse. God is love. Say it. God is love. You see, you're good at memorization. Don't try to make that excuse. God is love. And, it, and we read about it in 1 John 4, 8. And just in case we forgot, he repeats it in 1 John 4, 16. God is love. Question. Why would a loving God keep his children from knowing him and knowing his word? Why would a loving God keep secrets from his children? Or worse, only give the secrets to certain really, really, really spiritual, really, really intelligent men and women. Why would a loving father, and by the way, that is who God is. If you have asked his son into your heart, the Bible says you're a child of God and God is your father. Why would a loving father keep his children in a guessing game as to who he is and what he is like? Why would a loving father want his children wondering whether or not they are really his children and whether they will be in eternity with him? He wouldn't. He would not. That is contrary to love. I don't want my kids in a guessing game as to who I am. This is happening throughout the United States now, particularly in cities. Fathers taking off, leaving their kids into a guessing game as to who they really are. That's not love. That's cruelty. God is love. He wants you to know. He especially wants you to know whether you're in an everlasting, eternal relationship with him. You can know, you can know, you can know, you can know, you can know. So let's go to chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. So what is that referring to? That which was from the beginning. That's a reference to Jesus Christ. First book, 
First verse of the book of John, that's the other John, that's the same writer, but John at the, uh, one of the four gospels at the beginning of the New Testament, begins the very same way. First verse of John chapter one, in the beginning, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So verse one of 1 John, that which was from the beginning, that's a reference to Jesus Christ. And he says what? That which we have heard, that which we have seen, that which we have looked upon, that which we have handled. What he's saying is we can know Don't let anyone ever convince you that you can't know. You can know this, Jesus. In fact, I knew him personally. I heard him with my ears. I saw him with my eyes. I touched him with my hands. And what I saw, heard, and touched, I am now passing on to you. That's the point of this letter. Don't let anyone tell you you have to remain in the dark about who God is. Verse 2. The life was manifested. In other words, the life of Jesus Christ was made known. It wasn't kept secret. It was manifested. And we have seen, and we bear witness, and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So, The words eternal life here, again, is a reference to Jesus. That is a reference to his deity, that Jesus is God. It says that the eternal life Jesus was with the Father and was manifested to us. So we had a very interesting dialogue last Sunday night with a couple of Muslim friends here uh, in our church service, and they uh, didn't understand Uh, how Jesus uh, could be God. Well, right here in a book that actually the Quran says to the Islamic people, you need to believe this book and follow this book. It says right here, it says that that eternal life was with the Father and was made known to us. He preexisted his human life. He pre-existed Bethlehem. He, he lived prior to Bethlehem, the time he was born in Bethlehem is the point that he is making here. Verse three, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. This is why we're having evangelism training this, this, starting this May. We're not supposed to keep to ourselves what has been made known to us about God, we're supposed to share it. And that's why he says, verse three, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So he explains here why he's writing the letter. He's saying, we're saying these things to you, we're declaring these things to you so that you'll have fellowship with us. And by the way, our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. In other words, we want you to have what we have. Don't think because I was a guy who was an eyewitness 
and, and I saw them and I heard them and I handled them, that you can't have what I have. Don't think that. That's what he's saying in this verse. I'm, he says, I'm telling you this stuff so you can have fellowship with us. And oh, by the way, our fellowship is with Jesus himself, which you can have too. You can know him. You can know him. You can know him in other words. So we see this word fellowship. Oh man, that's the word fellowship. It's, it's, a, it's a churchy word. It's, 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 it's a churchy word. I remember I had a, a, a roommate in, in, in my freshman year of college, and that word fellowship, every, he wasn't a Christian. He was a mocker of, of, of the church and of God. Uh, although uh, about 10 years after he roomed with me, he was gloriously saved. But every time someone said fellowship, he goes, don't say that word, Ugh, fellowship. It's a churchy, it's become a churchy word that we really don't understand, but it, it's such an important word. The word means, it's the Greek word koinonia, it means a connection, an intimacy, a bond. A literal bond is what it means, a closeness, a relationship. And so the point here is God's not keeping secrets from you. To the contrary, he wants a, a bond with you, a close, loving relationship with you. So he's saying in verse three, we are writing to you so that you can know him. Not just facts about him, but personally is what he's saying there. And then in verse four, he says this, and these things we write to you that your joy may be full. That your joy may be full, complete. That your joy may be complete is what he's saying. Question, how can a human being ever have joy if they can never really, really know who God is? And that was part of the problem here is these people were being told you can't really, really, really know. There's just this secret society of super intelligent, super spiritual people that know. And, and, and that causes grief. Because we were made for God, and we, there's no joy apart from knowing God. And, and what he's saying here is, in verse 4, we're writing you these things that your joy may be full, that, it, that your joy may be complete. As a pastor, perhaps my biggest challenge, my biggest struggle is convincing people that it's not just the really, really spiritual people who know God. In fact, Jesus says, the, he says something which sounds a lot like the, uh, the opposite. He says, unless you become like this little child, you're, you're not going to know him. You're not going to get him. You're not going to experience them unless you come uh, develop the faith. Uh, just like a, a, a little child, that simple faith. And one of the biggest struggles I have is, is, is convincing people, pleading with them, uh, which John is doing here, that no, it, it's, you can know God. You can know him. And, 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 and let me tell you, uh, you, you have to know him. You have to understand it. Otherwise, your joy cannot be complete. Verse four, these things we write to you so that your joy may be 
full. There is no joy apart from knowing God. And John says, I'm writing you this so that you can know this, so that you can know that you know that you know that you know. So let's continue with this thought. Book of Isaiah says this, Isaiah 43, 21. This is God speaking, and he's speaking to his people. He's speaking to you if you've asked the Son of God into your heart. This people I have formed for myself. This people I have formed for myself. God created you not to hide himself from you. That's not what he does. That's what man does. Man hides out from other people because he, she is scared of letting people know who they are. We're so scared of that. We don't want people to know who we really are because if they really know who we really are, they'd probably run from us. Certainly they wouldn't like us. They wouldn't love us. God doesn't do that. These people I have formed for myself. And then it says in Isaiah 43, 10, it says, you, this is God speaking to you, you I have chosen that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Who is he? He's God. Who is God? God is love. God is justice. God is holy. God's a wonderful counselor. He's an everlasting father. There's no joy apart from this. There's joy. Joy is the mark of the Christian life. It's also the source of your strength in the Christian life. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It's, but it's the evidence. It's the mark of the Christian life. Listen, a lack of joy should be like an alarm bell for you. And, and, and you, you, you may be thinking, wow, this guy Steve up there he must be a real, 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 one of these real, real, real spiritual guys. He, he always has joy. Wrong. I don't. There will be days where there's no joy. But you know something? After 26 years of, of studying the Bible, at least I know this by now. When there's no joy in my life, it's an alarm bell. It's an alarm bell to do what? I need to go to God. I need to go to him. If you are lacking joy, it means you are lacking fellowship with the Lord. What does verse 3 say again? That which we have seen and heard, speaking of Jesus Christ, him we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. You lack joy? That should be an alarm bell for you. It means you're lacking that fellowship. How do you have fellowship with, with God, with Jesus? By opening up your hearts and talking with them. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing at work, at play, at your bed, at your dinner table, opening up your heart and talking with them. How do you have fellowship with him? By hanging out with other believers in Christ. You say, I don't have joy. Are you with other believers in Christ? 
Well, no, I don't need them. It's just me and Jesus. Well, no, no, no. No, 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 no. What does this say in verse 3? That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may have fellowship with us. When I'm having fellowship with a sister in Christ or a brother in Christ, I am having fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The Bible says that Jesus Christ uh, lives within you, within me. How do you have fellowship with him? By opening up his word. Remember the verse, he is the word. In the beginning was the word. By opening up his word and just telling him, Lord, speak to me. I need it. I want it. I have to have it. Lord, please. That's how you have to have fellowship with him. That's how you have to have fellowship with him. Verse four, and these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Here's another verse. Looks like we have the Spanish on top. Oh no, they switched it for me. There we go. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrow. Con todo, él llevará sobre sí nuestros males y sufrirá nuestros dolores. Surely has borne our grief. That is quite a statement. Now, Isaiah 53 is speaking about Jesus suffering on the cross for you. A lot of stuff was happening on the cross. Among other things, he was bearing your grief. He was bearing your sorrow on the cross. That's a heavy thing. That's heavy. When that joy is gone in your life, you need to go to the one. You need to have fellowship with the one. You need to give yourself over to the one who has taken your grief and he's taken your sorrow. Now, how do you do that? By the blood that was poured out, and, and we'll get to that in a couple verses, but this is a heavy thing. It's a heavy thing. You know, I was just in, in Argentina a couple weeks ago, and I was hanging out with a pastor and his wife, Ricardo and Silvina. And six months ago, she walked into her mother's home and found her mother with her throat slit on the ground, dead in a pool of blood. And you know, when I hear stuff like that and I internalize it, I'm like, oh, certainly I don't want to share this with anyone else. but I know they want us to pray for them. I know we're supposed to pray for them. We're gonna do that tonight for this couple. They're planning a church in a new city. They had just gotten to the city. And she finds her mother in a pool of blood. And with every molecule in their body, they wanna get out of that city. but they know they can't do it. They know it's God's will for them to be in the city. And, but here's the deal. Jesus Christ 
carries their grief and he carries their sorrow. And even in an extreme tragedy like that, there's a joy. There's a joy. Verse 4 says, These things we write to you that your joy may be full. Not everyone lives in a safe, gated community. Not every Christian lives in a safe, gated community where they're protected from things like that. But they have this promise that even in the most severe, ugly tragedy, they can have the fullness of joy. That Jesus bore their griefs and their sorrows. We're going to be praying for that couple tonight, planning this church, but, but uh, I can't keep this stuff from you. I can't. I can't keep this stuff hidden. I got to bring it into the light. Which brings us to the next verse. Verse 5 says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Am I so grateful for this? I, I, I am so grateful that in God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Listen, there's darkness at every corner. That we, that we walk in. And in the, you know, sort of in the path of life, there's darkness everywhere and, and so many voices out there. I am so glad I can go to God where it says there's no darkness at all in him. What would our lives be if we couldn't go to the Lord, to God, in whom there's no darkness at all? If we say that we have fellowship with him, verse six, and walk in darkness. We lie. And we do not practice the truth. If we say that we have fellowship with him but walk in darkness, what is darkness? Some people say, well, darkness is sin. No, it's much worse than that. It's something much worse than sin. Darkness is the absence of light. God is light. It's the absence of God. Darkness is keeping God out. Darkness is that area of your life which you're trying to keep hidden from God and you're not allowing God in. That's darkness. It's that air of our life which we do not allow God in. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness. Well, yeah, I'm a Christian. God and me, we're tight. Jesus, he's my co-pilot. But there's an area of my life that I'm keeping away from God, an area of my life where I'm refusing to uh, uh, let God in. John says here, I'm a liar and I don't practice the truth. By the way, get used to it. This is what the whole letter is going to be. 
If you want someone just to be sort of like polite to you and soften the edges, uh, this is not the letter to be reading. But, but it's wonderful because he's constantly bringing this stuff into the light, which is what we need to be doing. Listen up. Love. Mentioned 50 times in this letter. John loves us enough to tell us the truth. And the truth is this, this morning, brother, sister, if you're walking, if you're walking rather in darkness, if there's an air of your life where you're not letting God in, you're a liar and you're not practicing the truth. And I speak that to my own heart. I really do. I speak that to my own heart as well. However, he loves us to, enough to also say this, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. You know, there's nothing sweeter than hanging out with brothers or sisters in Christ when everyone present is just allowing God in every area of their life. They're not being phonies. They're just allowing the Lord in every area. There's nothing sweeter than being around that. But when there's someone in a, in a group of Christians who has somewhere of their life in darkness, an area that they're keeping hidden from God, an area that they're refusing to let God in, it, it just spoils everything. It, you know, it's like trying to eat, uh, eat an omelet with, with 10 eggs in it, and, you know, nine of them are good, and then the last one's rotten. Well, this is just one out of 10, you know. That'll spoil a whole fellowship of people. And I, I can't tell you how often this happens. I'm with someone. I know that the person loves the Lord. I know they do. I know they do. I know they do. But there's something wrong. There's something awry. And my fellowship with them is like, bleh. Something's wrong here. Brothers and sisters, if you have given your life to Christ... The Bible says you've received the Holy Spirit. If you've received the Holy Spirit, the Bible says it's the seal of your salvation, yes, but one of the blessings that comes from the Holy Spirit is you have the ability to actually see into the spiritual realm. Now, I don't want anyone thinking they're like, you know, Karnak the magician or whatever, you know, but, but th this is true. As you grow in the Lord and you're able to listen to the Spirit, you'll have the ability to see right through a person. Again, I don't want to get weird here, and I don't want to interject pride into, into anybody's life here, and that often happens, unfortunately. But listen, there are some times, and we need to be careful about this, but sometimes when you are around someone who's a believer in Christ and the fellowship is, ah, you just need to come right out. Hey, man, are you in sin? Is there like some sin, some hidden thing in your life? I'm not saying like all the time, and I'm not saying you, you don't pray about it and be prayerful. Sometimes, though, in a moment, you pray just in your spirit, and you just come right out with it. That's what fellowship is for, to bring everything out into the light, not to keep things hidden. 
you say you wake up on a Sunday morning and you're like, oh man, there's this area of my life. It's obviously, I'm refusing to let God in. I better not go to church. No, here's a better idea. Just bring it into the light and come to church. I gotta do that. I, I, you guys are expecting me to be up here. I can't just say, well, there's something I'm keeping. No, I gotta bring it into the light. That's what we need to do, fellowship. And the cool thing is, is if you just come out and you're all Boston blunt, so is there some sin in your life? Well, actually there is. It turns out there's some area of their life. The great thing is you just lead them to the next part of the verse. It says the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And then just continue reading the next two verses. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. In other words, hey man, you're like, I'm just like you. I got sin too. Don't think there's not parts of my life that I've kept hidden from God that I didn't have to come out with. If we say we're if we're without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so this is part of the fellowship thing. Are you in sin? Well, oh no, yes I am. Well, I have good news for you. I've been there too. And, and, and the Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And you know what? You want to know the great part about these verses? This is 1 John 1, 9. It's called the Christian bar soap. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's the verse that all of us should put to memory. But you know the great thing about this This these passages is that when there is some part of our life that we are keeping God out of, if we just bring it to the light, the fellowship is instantly restored. We are not in the penalty box. That's what grace is all about. That's what the blood of Jesus is all about. I'm going through the book of Acts right now, and it's great just, it's great to, just to see where the Lord what the Lord really wants with our life after we've been in a time of rebellion, a time of opposition to him. The Apostle Paul is going around arresting Christians, cursing them, voting to have them executed. The Bible says Jesus appears to him in, 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 in the form of this, sort of this abounding light, what it exactly looked like, we don't know, but he fell right on the ground. And I love what Jesus said to him. He said, rise and stand up. And then he said, go. And this, again, is what the Lord's view of what he wants for you if you have some area of your life that's hidden from him. You just bring it into the life, light and he doesn't want you to grovel around on the ground guilty about it for 10 days, 20 days, or 20 years as I have seen in some cases. He just wants you to right there, rise up, stand where you are, and then go. Now, interestingly enough, after that happened to Paul, 25 years into his faith, you see the same thing happen again after he falls 
flat, flat on his face and he allows darkness into his life. There's this scene later on in the book of Acts where he's speaking to the high priest, the Jewish high priest, and he doesn't, but he doesn't know he's the Jewish high priest. And he's speaking to him, he's speaking in a way that he probably shouldn't have been, and the high priest told someone, hey, slap this guy. Ooh, they didn't have rules about that stuff back then, huh? So someone slaps him, and he looks right at the high priest, and he goes, you whitewashed wall, may God strike you dead. And someone says, Paul, do you know who you're speaking to? You're speaking to the Pope. You're speaking to the high priest. And he said, oh, man, you're right. The Bible says, do not revile the ruler of your people. And that same night, it says that he was depressed, he was discouraged, and God came right to his side and he said, look, cheer up, man. I don't want you to be groveling in this self-pity. Cheer up. I'm going to send you to Rome. I'm going to make you go. And, and that's, that's what, the, brothers and sisters, that's where the Lord, that's what he wants from you. Not to be groveling around in the ground and sell pity. He just no matter how long you've kept this thing hidden, he just wants you to rise up, stand, and then go about whatever business he's called you to. That's why the Bible is called the good news. The good news. We're going to close uh, at this point this morning. If I could just ask the worship team to come up, and if you've been asked to pray, please come up as well. Bringing things into the light. It says again in verse 5, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you. In other words, he heard this. He heard literally these words right out of Jesus' mouth. And he's saying, I've heard these words and I'm telling you, God is light and in him There is no darkness at all. And then it says, if we say that we have fellowship with him, but walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, we just need to get into the light. We have fellowship with one another. (laughs) And we have fellowship with with Jesus Christ himself. We're going to sing a closing worship song now. I just want to ask this. If there's some area of your life which you have not been inviting God into some area of darkness. While the worship team is playing this closing worship song, I just want you to come up. You don't have to mention what it is. You can if you want, but you don't have to mention what it is. But in your heart, you just agree with a brother or sister in Christ that no longer you're going to invite God into this area of your life. Or if there's any other prayer you have at all. Don't leave today without just getting the burden off and releasing uh, it to him. If you've had a lack of joy, joy is the mark of the Christian life. If there's no joy, an alarm bell should be going off that something's wrong. If there's a lack of joy and you would just like a brother, sister to come alongside of you and pray come up while the worship, when the worship team begins. But why don't we rise? I'll close in prayer and we'll begin worship. Father, we uh, thank you very much. 
for bringing us to the light this morning, Father, for bringing us to the light. And Lord, we praise you. It says, in, it says here in, in you there's no darkness at all and how much we need you, Lord. There, there is darkness. There's darkness at every corner. So many voices, Lord, we can come to you where there's no darkness at all. Lord, I, I pray in Jesus' name that even as you began a word this morning, that you would complete it, that you would complete it now in all of our lives. Lord, that we can be as those who walk in the light. Jesus, you told us that we are the light of the world. So often uh, we fall short, Lord. I know I do. We thank you that in, in you, in Christ, we can actually be that, the light of the world. Complete that word in us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.